I'm Candy Huber, and I'm going to be your instructor for this morning on uh, a comprehensive model for effective health ministry leaders, creating a vibrant health ministry. Before we get started, I'd just like to begin with a word of prayer. So if you would, bow with me. Dear Lord, we're thankful for the morning. We're thankful for our health and life. We're grateful for the blessings that you've given to us. And we're thankful that we have this desire to serve you, to follow in your footsteps. And so now uh, bless us as we think together, as we share together, as we learn perhaps new ways or affirm the ways that we have been working uh, to witness for you to be a light to a dark world. Bless us now as we go through our materials. May we honor you in all we do and say, in Christ's name I pray, amen. I have uh, a history, like most of you have a history. Mine has been in health ministry. Um, when I became a nurse, I was working in um, Loma Linda at the um, oncology center there for medical surgical interventions as well. And I noticed that when we took care of people, we patched them up. Um, we gave them all the medications that they needed, all the treatments, they were recovered. We taught them what they needed to do. They returned their demonstrations. They would go home, and two weeks later, they'd be back. So I, good morning. Please move up if you'd like. I feel like you're way far away from me, and um, you may be able to see better. So they would come back in two weeks, and I began to realize that this approach wasn't being wasn't working very well, wasn't very effective. And so I went back to the School of Health there while I was there working on my master's in public health. And while I was there, I met my husband, who at that time was a pastor. And he also wanted to mirror the work of Christ in his ministry. And so we married and we moved to West Virginia. We've been working in health ministries ever since, everywhere we've gone. He is now a chaplain and um, is gracing people at their, with chronic diseases and at the end of their life with ministry. We work together to help people become whole. And that's the goal for all of us, isn't it? To help people become whole. So it's my uh, delight that you're here. Just some um, housekeeping duties. If you've just come in, there's a sign-up sheet that's going around for you to initial. So please pass it on, and somehow at the end of the day, it should come back up here, I'm guessing. So I want to begin by giving you a little story. Um, this is written by Anonymous. You know how those Anonymous people are? But they have some good material out there. So uh, listen to this and see if it resonates. We are in the midst of a great controversy. And for Adventists, that term resonates well, doesn't it? The great controversy. We even have a book entitled The Great Controversy. And this is a different take on that. And God populated the earth with broccoli and cauliflower and spinach and green and yellow vegetables of all kinds so man and woman would live long and healthy lives. And Satan created McDonald's. And McDonald's brought forth a 99-cent double cheeseburger. And Satan said to man, you want fries with that? And man said, supersize them. And man gained pounds. And God created the healthful yogurt that woman might keep her figure that man found so fair. And Satan froze the yogurt, and he brought forth chocolate and nuts and brightly colored sprinkled candy to put on the yogurt. And woman gained pounds. And God said, try my crispy fresh salad. And Satan brought forth creamy dressings and bacon bits and shredded cheese, and there was ice cream for dessert, and woman gained more pounds. And God said, I have sent you heart-healthy vegetables and olive oil with which to cook them. 
and Satan brought forth chicken fried steak so big it needed its own platter. And man gained pounds and his bad cholesterol went through the roof. And God brought forth running shoes and man resolved to lose those extra pounds. And Satan brought forth cable TV with remote control so man would not have to toil to change his channels between ESPN and ESPN2 and man gained pounds. And God said, you're running up the score, devil. And God brought forth the potato, a vegetable naturally low in fat and brimming with nutrition. And Satan peeled off the healthful skin and sliced the starchy center into chips and deep fat fried them. And he created sour cream dip also. And man clutched his remote control and ate the potato chips swaddled in cholesterol. And Satan saw and said, it is good. And man went into cardiac arrest. And God sighed and created quadruple bypass surgery. And Satan created HMOs. <laughs> I hope that gives you a little idea of the battle that people are in, in the great controversy of lifestyle even. Um, but it puts a humorous tack on it. And uh, while I don't think Satan created uh, McDonald's, um, Anonymous did. And I thought it was a humorous approach. So I shared it with you. And I would tell you that, good morning. I would tell you that in your health ministry programs, I hope you'll make them fun and happy. People like to learn by being happy. They like clever little stories that are unique and different, and I hope you'll collect a batch of them so that uh, when people come to your classes, they can have fun and learn too. So we're going to look at methods in health ministry today, and I'm going to share with you really quickly that some of the slides that are in your notebook are out of order now because I go through creative um, moments and I'll rearrange or I'll delete some. So if you see they're out of order, it's probably because there were too many in the first place and I decided to change them around a little bit. Some are not in your, some are not in your book uh, because I was given the um, instructions to create some things after we got them printed. But um, I can certainly send them to you if you give me your email address later on. Okay, this module covers the essentials for organizing and developing health as a ministry of the church. Health as a ministry. Sometimes we use the word health ministry because it's just part of how we speak. But when health or wholeness becomes a ministry, uh, then it means that it goes on forever, not just holding programs. So I'd love for you to think that this course is beyond holding programs, although programs are a part of health ministry. This is about how you create health as a ministry that's ongoing, wholeness as a ministry. Um, so you'll see these themes. And part of the objective of this course is, for the, is to achieve the purpose of any church ministry. Well, the purpose of any church ministry is to build the kingdom of God by introducing people to the gospel of salvation through Christ. And that's what health ministry is. It's about building the kingdom of God so that people become so well mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, that they are able to understand better what God has for them. The rationale for that is that two-thirds of Christ's ministry was spent in healing. And the Great Commission bids us to teach, preach, and heal. It's not teach, preach, or heal. It's teach, preach, and heal, and being a conjunction that joins equal parts of phrases. So this is a part of ministry as surely as the teaching we do uh, as surely as the preaching that we do. It is not, however, a gimmick or a trick. We do not use health ministry with the idea that, well, people will come for this, 
and then we'll share the, the gospel with them. There's a process as to how we share the gospel um, and how we include, um, and how Christ included um, the methods of health ministry. So that's the overall purpose. We're gonna look at your vision and mission for your church this morning. We're gonna determine the pastor's vision to see what he believes about health ministry. We are going to gain approvals from leadership and understand how that's an inclusive process, that it is, is not a process just for health professionals. We're going to look at how a health ministry team is developed, how you evaluate your current ministries that are going on, and how you look at different resources from the nation and from your um, community, from your state, how you survey for health interests so that you actually speak to people what, about what they're interested in, not just what you have to present to them, how you prioritize and establish initiatives, coordinate programs, and what kind of health screenings get included in that, what the budgets and funding issues are, how you gain partners to help you so that this ministry is sustainable throughout the community, because isn't that what we want? I think ultimately the goal is that the church should become a center for healing and wholeness. Think about that. Is your church a center for healing and wholeness in your community? That is the ultimate goal. And that's what I hope that you'll be able to glean from um, our classes and then what the legal considerations may be. And so we have a lot of ground to cover and I'm gonna to try to roll through it pretty quickly. This is a paramount theme for me. And it comes from the book, Ministry of Healing, page 143. You're familiar with it probably, but I'm gonna read it to you in case you're not. I think it's important language. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching people. The Savior mingled among men as one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them. He ministered to their needs and won their confidence, and then he bade them follow me. And I believe that order is significant. I don't think it's just a haphazard placement of words. So we're going to look at that a little bit. The Savior mingled with. He mingled with people. And when I come to this phrase, I have to think in my own life, how many friends do I have outside of my faith? How many friends do you have of other faiths? And I would like to encourage you at this point to decide right now never to use the non-word again. Do you know what the non-word is? Oh, they're non-Adventists. When I go to Catholic churches, and I work with churches of all faiths, I'm a non-Catholic, and I understand that. <laughs> uh, because usually in the minds of certain people, there's only two sets of people. There's my set of people, and then there's all the others that are nons. But these are people of other faiths. I would like for you to think about the people you encounter every day as children of God, sons and daughters of God, of other faiths perhaps, perhaps of no faith, but I think when we look at Jesus and he was able to mingle with all different types of people, that should be our example. So when I have a party, let me just get through my thought and then I'll, I'm, I see your hand. When I have a party, I feel as though I'm uh, not quite reaching my goal if I look around the room and I don't see maybe half the people, maybe 40% of the people as being of other faiths or of no faiths. Because my challenge to myself is to reach out and mingle with all types of people, not just the friends that I have at church that I know are close to me and that we share a common bond. I have set it apart for myself to try to know and try to pay attention to the people that I incidentally have in my life. Now think about this, you go to the grocery store every week. 
I go two and three times a week because my husband doesn't like me to load up all at once. He wants little bits of food that we don't have sitting in the refrigerator. So I go two and three times, and it's been my goal over the years because I go to the same market all the time, and I see the same people. Don't you see the same people at the checkout counter who are moving your, your goods through the, across the little window? To know their names. What are their names? I mean, they have their badge on, but do you know their names? I know that Joanne at one of the stores that I go to um, has an antique business on the side and she knows me you know and we talk at the counter well I don't know what that means in a long-term relationship but I know that someday there'll be a problem and if I have an ability to be friendly with people they'll have a sense that at some point we can share about the troubles in our lives and perhaps that may mean something more um, lasting in that if I only stay in my one little avenue, though, I will only know these people, and I'll never be able to reach the others. Do you know the person who does your laundry? You know, the, the, when you go to the uh, cleaners, the dry cleaners, do you know the name of that person? That, and you usually probably go to the same dry cleaners all the time, right? Um, our, our, the person that we take our dry cleaning to is a wonderful person. We know his name. He shares his issues with us. Someday I look forward to inviting him to special events. These are the people that we commingle with, that we have some kind of a connection ongoing, and shouldn't we have a deeper connection if we're truly mingling with people as one who desired their good? What did you have to say? He, he went with them, didn't he? He went to them. It really depends, and I think that's a very good point. If you didn't hear his comment, he said, well, he didn't invite everyone to the synagogue. Um, we can reach out, and if you believe that there's a neutral territory uh, in your community that is um, going to be safer for people and not have a barrier, not that our places aren't safe, but that, that, that there's no barrier there, then I've held classes before in libraries, I've held them in hospitals, um, I've held them in um, uh, uh, women's clubs um, areas. So think about that. How will you reach most of the people if you're going to ask them to come? Um, and the other part is please begin to open up your mind uh, to the people that he's placed. Be aware of the encounters that you have because these encounters, I believe, are not just happenstance. Oh, they may be but perhaps not. And uh, I could go on, but we don't have time. But uh, Christ mingled with men as one who desired their good. And I would mention that because we have a set of ideals about what we think people need to know. But we need to be able to evaluate what do they think they need to know. Where are they right now on their journey? They may not be ready for what I have for them because I'm all prepared to teach them about whatever, fitness or nutrition or mental health, whatever it is. I gotta know what their issue is, what they really want to come to and learn about. Where are they on their journey? Where has God taken them so far and where does he want them to go next? I'll give you an example of this. In one of the classes that I teach, we have uh, scenarios that we give out to health ministry leaders and we ask them, after you've gotten your, um, your, your understanding of your church, you found out that one church has lost 20 members. This actually happened in a church that I know. One church lost 20 members uh, to death. And I said, what would the church's response be um, at this time for those 20 people throughout the year? 
And they thought and they thought and they thought. And finally, this one fellow, you know, the groups got together and they said, well, we, we think the people who um, uh, have had this kind of loss will feel better if they exercise and if they learn how to eat differently, they'll feel better. Now, the idea was they knew they were suffering. Um, but people in grief are not at a, a state where they can change their whole lifestyle um, because the grief is so profound. So do you see what I'm saying? People in grief may not be ready to, to go to a vegetarian cooking class or go to an exercise class. So what do we do for them? Uh, it may be more important to have grief support so that we actually work with them in terms of how is the grieving going as opposed to we're, we're thinking over here, but they're in this whole valley of despair, um, which is very dangerous. So helping them through their grief so they can go on and live um, and assume some happiness and beyond their, uh, their loss is a huge part of health ministry as well. So learning about what their good is, what is their interest is important for us. He showed sympathy for them. And I would like for you to think about what drives you with your own compassion. I mean, some things I could take them or leave them. But what is it that I get really passionate about? What do I really, what can I do that I get really excited about. You need to figure that one out. Because when you awaken your passion, that's when your gifts will come out in profound ways. He showed his sympathy for them. He had compassion for them. And it was something that he gave himself to them. He didn't hold back. He was a compassionate individual. He showed his sympathy for them. He had compassion for them. He ministered to their needs. He met their needs. He met their needs. And he won their confidence. He won their trust. That's a huge piece, isn't it? He won their trust. Um, I would say, I have a note here. I would say that um, we've got some challenges in, in uh, earning trust today. And, and part of that may be related to the fact that we haven't mingled enough. But winning a person's trust is, is profound. We really have to learn where people are on their journey. I was reading a book not long ago called Holy Conversations by Richard Peace. I found that at a, a seminary bookstore up at, at Duke University. And he's talking about holy conversations and uh, similarly about the mingling and being able to talk with other people. And he gives an example of a crowded airplane, one seat left. And a man comes down the aisle and he sees the empty seat and he says to the gentleman next to the empty seat, is that seat saved? And the gentleman says, no, but I am. Sit down and I'll tell you all about it. Um, he wasn't asking that, was he? He wanted to know, could he sit there? And so I think we have an unction sometimes to tell everybody everything. Some of that, Richard Peace says, came about through Campus Crusade for Christ, where people were given 15 minutes to encounter a stranger, uh, ask them if they knew they were saved, tell them all about the plan of salvation in 15 minutes, ask them to join the Christian faith, and um, then go on to the next person. And we sort of got ingrained in doing this that when we meet somebody we got to tell them right away rather than find out where they are on their journey finding out how do we join them on that journey wherever wherever they are I think that um, that's an important part of gaining trust it's by being able to walk beside people 
appreciate what God has done for them and is doing for them on their journey and figuring out where are the bridges we can build between my journey and their journey. How can I join them on the journey? What can we share together? And that they would share with me is a brilliant piece of, of, um, of thought, I think, that God has something from their journey that they can share with me. And as we walk together, sharing these elements back and forth, back and forth, we gain trust. We break down barriers. We understand we're all children of God, and we can then go to the next step. And this is the next step. Whoops. Well, we'll get to that. Then he bade them follow me after that. This is, the, this is part of gaining confidence, too, though. Barna Research, I don't know if any of you read Barna, but the Barna Research Group does a lot of research on Christian development, um, and they're looking at the United States and the different faith communities and non-faith communities uh, to see where people are in the country. And he shows in one of his um, research papers that there is a whole group of people out there called the unattached. They are not involved in a church life. And he says that they are more likely to feel stressed out, uh, less likely to be concerned about moral conditions of the country, much less likely to believe that they are making a positive difference in the world, less optimistic about the future, far less likely to believe that the Bible is totally accurate in its principles, substantially more likely to believe that Satan and the Holy Spirit are only symbolic figures but are not real, more likely to believe that Jesus Christ sinned while he was on earth, much more likely to believe that the holy literature of the major faiths all teach the same principles, even though they use different stories, less likely to believe that a person can be under demonic influence, and more likely to describe their sociopolitical views as mostly liberal more than mostly conservative. Now, if this is a growing sea of people, if this is a generation of people that are called the unattached, how do you think we're going to get to them? How will we reach them for God? They are unattached. They will not be coming to our place of worship because they don't see any difference, actually, if you're looking at this report. And what can we say to this group? What is it that we can do to help them in any way? Because our views are so different, wouldn't you say? If you don't believe that Satan is real, if you don't believe there are differences in faith, what, what could we offer? What do you think? I'm asking. It's not just a rhetorical question. Is there anything up on that board that we could make a difference in at all for people? Well, the stress. They feel stressed. They have real families. They, they love their real children. They love their real wives and spouses. And they're stressed. They're working in life with this kind of a philosophy that n nothing really makes too much difference. And they don't even see that they're making much of a difference, right? But they are stressed because they feel all the unrest. And they don't have an anchor. You know, if you believe this system, they don't have an anchor. So reaching out to them for stress reduction, stress management, may be one of the ways in which we learn to mingle with folks who don't have a view of Christ as we do. They don't know him. They don't recognize the scripture as a profound word of God. Stress management might be the way. 
And I use this as an example because there's a sea of people out there and a growing group that may have different views from we do. And we must be able to locate what is their need. What is it that I can share with them uh, because they're on a different plane spiritually or, or religiously, I would say, than I am. What can I offer them? And it might very well be we use reports like this, we look at what the community is telling us their greatest needs are and begin to work there with people. I think you'll see this played out in today as we go forward. Does this make sense to you? Yeah. Uh, thank you. That's right. And we'll get into that with partnerships because oftentimes that happens. After all of this is said and done, then he bade them follow me. And so when we've built trust and confidence, it makes sense then that people would say, I want to know the Christ that's in your life. I want to know how you have peace amongst the storm, amidst the storm. What is it? that gives you hope. This is unique. Okay, the light is on. <laughs> oh, technology. All right. So that's a basis. And I would say if you have any thoughts about what your um, ministry is about, I would say you think about those words on page 143. And, and as the lights dim, <laughs> it's lucky that we have the, um, the screen and, and the, our tapes can go on. So getting ready for the very first thoughts, I want you to think about the mission statement of your church. <laughs> oh, me. Do any of you remember your mission statement just off the top of your hat? Mission statement of your church? You're working on one, okay. Let me see if I, I, I brought some here. The reason I'm mentioning mission statements, yes. Very good, an irresistible, I love that word, an irresistible force in the community. Your mission statement should be able to define why you have health and wholeness as a ministry. It should be that you should be able to define why you're there by your mission statement. Um, remember, Christ's ministry was two-thirds of it was healing people. So if you're looking at your mission statement, you should be able to, somewhere in those words, be able to figure out the why, the answer to why are we doing health ministry, why would we work to make people whole. It is about your mission statement and your vision statement of your church. And I brought two, just to give you an example. These are from local churches here in the area. Their vision statement on one church is a passion for God, a passion for people, a passion for service. And their mission statement is to teach the word of God, to lead people to Jesus, and help others to do the same. That's that concept of discipleship. To teach the word of God, to lead people to Jesus, and to help others do the same. Now, where do you find health ministry in those words? to teach the word of God, to lead people to Jesus, and to help other people do the same. Where's health ministry in that? The first two, that's right, to teach the word of God, there's healing in the word of God throughout. The restoration principles, that science of salvation is all about restoration. What happens when you bring people to Jesus? What did he do with them? 
He made them whole. That's right. He made them whole. So there it is. In their mission statement, you can define and defend health ministry by looking at the language. Here's another church that says relationships with God, with family, with others, with the church, and with nature or the environment to bring the healing power of Jesus Christ to broken relationships with God, with family, with others, with the church and with nature. Where is health ministry in there? The healing power of Christ, isn't it? To broken relationships. Obviously, um, they're focused on the issue of broken relationships, but that's, a very, that's why we would have health ministry there, to bring the healing power of Christ into the lives of people. So do you see what I'm saying? There must be some reason, there must be some rationale that you can easily define for your health ministry um, in looking at your mission and vision statements. And if you look, it's there. But that defines why you're doing it, um, because you're gonna invite everyone to be in. You wanna link in the language for health ministry. Then you need pastoral approvals, and I would say you want to determine the views and vision of your pastor and other leaders and understand the current ministries that are going on. We're going to talk about that. Um, your pastor has a vision of what a healthy church is. And you as a health ministry leader want to know what that is. Where does he see health as a ministry fitting into all the other ministries that are involved in the church? How does he view that? How do the other leaders view that? Because a clear, uh, a clear element, a clear way of articulating the themes of whole person health have to be understood by the pastor lest, it deter lest he uh, identify it as we held five programs this year, that's healing and wholeness. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, thank you. The lights came on. Thank you. Oh, okay. Well, we appreciate power. <laughs> So it's important. Um, if you look at some of the books out uh, that are called The Healthy Church, um, The Empty Pew, what they define as a healthy church are all the language of a, a theological professor about developing worship, developing um, ministry, prayer groups, small groups, uh, youth, youth ministries, um, all of the different types of the systems of faith. Um, and health ministry is never mentioned in any of that. Um, but there are supportive words. So you may find that your pastor comes from that thought process. And you want to be sure that the um, elements of Christ's ministry of healing and wholeness um, become part of who we are as a people. It's all about him. And we would emulate his methods. We would emulate what he did as clearly as he pointed people to God and was revealing who God is in the character of God and the plan of salvation. Um, he also, at the same time, wanted them to understand God was able to restore and heal and that there are ways in which becoming a Christian, we become transformed, don't we? We're not the same people we were. We're new creatures. And that includes um, our physical health, our mental and emotional health. So once you have those permissions with leadership and there's this understanding that there is a, um, a global sort of an approach to whole person health, then you want to develop a team. And this team includes anyone who loves the Lord, has an interest in health, and a desire to serve, anyone. 
and you would send out a mem uh, memo, you would send out an invitation, you would stand up front, you would put it in your bulletin, you would put it on your website. This is for anyone, whether they have a health background or not, who has an interest to serve the Lord, uh, a desire to serve the Lord, an interest in health, and uh, someone who loves people. <coughs> yes. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Um, he's bringing up the point, and don't let me forget it if I move over it, but he's bringing up a point that there are lots of people who are involved in peculiar or different, not evidence-based health, alternatives and things. So having this team is part of the watch guard uh, so that um, you're sure that everything comes before the people is sound evidence. But just getting them to the table is part of it. And what we typically think of in a health ministry is health professionals. And I hear so many times when I talk about, well, what is your team like? Oh, we have a doctor, we have a couple of nurses, we've got therapists, we've got social workers, that's our team. And that's great because all of those people have been called to the healing arts and uh, have developed their profession. But there are many others with rich gifts that God has given them. Um, and those are people also who need to be included in health ministry if the church is to become a center for healing. All of our gifts are, are about becoming whole. All of our gifts are about becoming whole. So if we only have it for this group, we will be saying that we're a medical model and that if you're not a health person, then you're not interested or we can't use you in becoming whole. Um, that's a medical approach. And there is a place for medicine uh, and medical interventions, absolutely. But we're talking about health ministry from a holistic perspective. And so I would like for you to consider all of the gifts that people have been given by God can be used because the goal is that all of us are able to heal other people by our presence. We have a healing influence as a Christian, even though I may be a teacher and you may be a writer or you may be an artist or you may not have any particular gift at all that you've identified, but you love to help and you can build things and do things. You maybe are a person who's very personable and you can greet people because that's your gift, is interaction with others. I don't have that gift. So here's a little diagram that says, these are people who also bring their gifts to the health ministry team to enrich it. So you've got helpers, you've got writers, you've got educators, you've got people who know how to work on websites, you've got people who are involved in fitness, those who like youth and those who like adults and work with seniors, those who know how to promote, uh, those who know how to depict visually what we're talking about. All of these people bring their gift to health ministry to help enliven it. Lest it become the ministry of a few, and when they move away or retire or go to a different place, your ministry just implodes because it's not woven into the fabric of the congregation that all of us have a healing <coughs> influence and we bring our gifts to help people become whole. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Wise, yes. But as the Bible says, we are called to different things. Some of the teachers, some of the healers. Yes. So I could say music, the ministry of music, yes. is also very healing. Yes. But then there's also a department of the church for music. Yes. So when we get into other areas of finances, 
Yeah. And I have the right to do that because health embodies everything. Yes. But at the same time, we need to have a nucleus in which we, we, we springboard from. Yes, yes. Yes, and I think what he's saying is it, it, it's, it's, it's bigger because we have all kinds of ministries. And what you see here are those with the gifts, and they may have been in the music ministry, but they also um, have an interest in health and, and whatever. This, this does not take the place of all the other ministries, nor is it uh, standalone, because we have all of these different ministries in our church. Um, the health ministries leader would be sitting around the leadership table with all the other ministry leaders. And what happens is that when women's ministry or men's ministry or youth ministry have their own programs, they come in and sit at this table maybe for one meeting to say, this is what we're planning for the year. How does health ministry come and support us so that we have a holistic approach? Because now we have health people who can help us more specifically with our youth. Um, the music is huge in terms of how do we affect people um, in, in a powerful way. So the health ministry leader would sit at the leadership table with all the other ministry directors um, to be able to create this whole vision of health. So this is not the only thing. This is a part. Yes. Well, and yes, and he would be invited. No, this is not complete. This just gives you an idea of opening the doors. If the pastor is invited, some do come, some don't. So, well, and I mentioned to you that he must be uh, uh, on board. Um, whether or not he decides to come is his business. But remember when I said you, we have to gain approvals before we go forward with leadership and with the pastor? And that's the point at which you have those discussions. And if he lends himself to this, if he has the time, that's great. Uh, if he lends his support to it, it's essential from whatever other activities there are. So yes, he should and may be there. Um, there may be an associate pastor. Um, you want key people uh, who can help you spread this message. My concern is that if the pastor's leading this, anyone who's not really invested says, well, I don't need to be there. It gives them an out. Yes. Well, that's why we'd have those conversations ahead of time. This is what we want to do. We need um, the involvement and this, this sanction. And it isn't just about programs, you know. So many times pastors will say, oh, that's nice, go ahead and do that. And they're not involved. No, this is about developing health as a ministry. Um, and so it is good to have those permissions. And hopefully they'll be at the table. I hope they will. I hope they will. In the ministry, is, in the ministry team that I've been involved in, we have a... Uh, a graphic designer, we have an LPN, we have a social worker, we um, have the pastor, we have um, a decorator, uh, we have a computer individual, so we have kind of a diverse group. I'm a nurse, uh, my husband has his master's and he's a pastor, so we have a group of people that are diverse. And that's the point of this slide. We must open the doors so it becomes more than just uh, medical personnel. And sometimes this will include a faith community nurse, and that's a new concept for many in the Adventist faith, a faith community nurse. This is not about a clinical nurse coming in to do clinical activities in the church. So let me just spend a few minutes with you on this to acquaint you with it. What is a faith community nurse? It is a professional registered nurse, someone who has an active license as, and is current in their skills, who functions as a member of the ministerial team. So she comes alongside of the pastor to be his colleague. 
and to be able to share uh, the elements of whole person health to help develop this ministry in a broader context, if you will. And as such, delivers primary holistic nursing service. Primary care are nursing services that are educational. So she's able to use the nursing process to assess both individuals and groups, to be able to determine uh, a plan of intervention for uh, uh, individuals, to intervene in a thoughtful way regarding what issues they're facing. She's a health educator. She's a health counselor, meaning she's able to sit with people and discuss their issues about what the doctor told them, so forth. She develops the membership, helps with facilitating support groups, and all of this is done with the intentional care of the spirit, meaning where is God with you now that this has happened to you? She is also a preventionist and also a whole person health uh, advocate. Yes, it could, be a she. it could be a he. And I mention that because otherwise I'd be saying he, she, he, she, he, she, he, she. But there are many men who are nurses who are also faith community nurses. Thank you. Assi the goal is to assist members, to empower them to reach their ultimate or optimal wellness potential. Some people are not born healthy. They come with disabilities. They're born with, ham uh, with the problems. Others have developed disabilities. They say that by the time a person is 60, they already have one chronic disease. So we're not all perfect. We're not all going to be Olympic champions. But at wherever we are, this individual can walk beside them, helping them to achieve whatever is the best that they can achieve, and empowering them to do so, not creating dependencies. Um, so Yes, yes. Are we really saying that healthcare workers who understand the principles and philosophy? Yes, and they would be working in health ministry. They wouldn't be. This is. Well, it may, yes, uh, to a point. This is a, a, a professional role designated by the American Nursing Association. So it is for registered nurses. However, it's a calling. And not every nurse, not every healthcare professional is going to be doing this, um, is not going to be called to this. So this is a role for nursing. Otherwise, we have very capable people working in health ministry who come from maybe a different place. Maybe there's a social worker, maybe there's uh, a counselor, maybe, and of course they belong in, in health ministry and can do portions of this. Um, so you see, this is a special designation. Um, but nurses who are not called to this will work very well in health ministry, as nurses in health ministry, as members of the health ministry team. This is a special designation. And this person, here are the roles again, spiritual care for the individual assessment, of groups and individuals, a liaison to community resources to be able to make referrals so that we don't have to do everything. We can discover what is available for people out in the community and be sure that they're able to access what's available for them. Health counselor and educator, health advocate, advocating for people who cannot advocate for themselves until they can advocate. The goal is to get them strong enough to be able to advocate for themselves a trainer of members in developing support groups, empowering people. Yes? Yes, as long as the license is active. She, she must or he must have an active license and be current in uh, their skills. So if you haven't worked for 20 years, um, things have changed. Mm-hmm. 
Right. If she's current in her skills and her license is active, then she would come to a prep course. She wouldn't just take on this title. There's a week-long course where we help people prepare for this new paradigm. Otherwise, they make mistakes and they begin acting as they did as a clinical nurse inside the church. And that places the uh, church at liability and it places the nurse at liability for functioning beyond the capacity of her license out in the community. Um, so I mentioned that to you. And I re I'll tell you the, the reason that I get excited about faith community nursing. These are the roles of the pastor taken from the Adventist minister's manual. <laughs> and I went through and categorized them all. Um, it's about spiritual formation. That's one of their duties and all those things listed there. Um, evangelism is part of their responsibility and all those duties are listed there. Administration is part of the pastor's role. All those duties are listed there. Nurturing is also a phase of ministry and then he also needs to take care of himself and his family. That's another role. So the reason I put this up here is for you to begin to appreciate uh, how much pastors are doing. Yes, they delegate to their elders and, and there are others and they may have associate pastors and so forth to help. But we see a lot of burnout in pastors, don't we? They get to a certain age and they're just overwhelmed with everything. Or we see that there's so much to do, they can't do it all, so they choose one or two areas and that's what they have to do. And then people complain, well, he never visits me. I don't get cared for, you know, these kinds of things. Imagine if you had a colleague to the pastor who could come in on a professional level and assist with these areas um, that relate to whole person health. And I'm thinking in their nurturing roles that the faith community nurse can assist with. There certainly are evangelism roles. Uh, there's certainly areas of strengthening the development of health ministry. Um, and even as a colleague to the clergy for his own self-care. Many men and women in ministry, in leadership in ministry, have neglected their, their own care. Oftentimes their families are the last to see them. And they haven't had too many that they could reach out and just share with on a confidential level that doesn't go wandering out into the community or into the church. So I see this as a huge part of how we enable specialized people. Now, the seminaries have given classes for pastors, so you can get your MDiv, and you can also come out now with an MSW because they say, well, most of your people have social needs, so you need to know how to be a social worker. And then there's another where you have your MDiv and you come out with CPE. And I think this education is wonderful because it gives them an understanding of really how to work with people in stress. But I think also, do we just continue to give pastors degrees so they can do more of this? Or do we actually bring in people where they can utilize them as colleagues to help relieve some of this? Yes, they have understanding and knowledge, but I see this as being a wonderful way to have a, a colleague to the clergy for the sake of taking care of some of these areas. And the reason faith community nursing was developed was a pastor saw that the nurse had her understanding and her experience in uh, physical care, but she also, or he also knew the areas of emotional health, uh, mental health, uh, social health, and because this person is called to ministry, the idea of spiritual care is paramount and is intentional in this paradigm. So I see this as hopeful. It's a new thought for Adventists in many ways, but um, I want you to consider it as part of maybe what would work for your um, 
congregation. So what's the difference between nurses working in health ministry and a faith community nurse? It's the calling, it's the preparation, because uh, this faith community nurse doesn't just select one thing she'd like to do out of that list. All on that list are her roles and responsibilities. And she doesn't do it all by herself, she works within the team, and there's a whole team development process that, uh, that comes with that. Um, so our other nurses, our other specialists, our other gifted people work in health ministry. Um, but if, if they're not called to assume this duty, uh, that's fine. So you see team roles would be mostly with groups. And here they all are examining existing ministries, surveying the congregation, determining health interests, pri prioritizing needs, communicating to the congregation about what is going on, contributing uh, with a variety of gifts. Uh, those are group activities that we do as in health ministry. The faith community nurse is a colleague to the pastor, an integrator of faith and health, so that people in the, in the church understand how faith and health have always been together and how they look today, uh, providing health guidance, and there are the other roles that were on the other screen. A key part of this is maintaining confidentiality because um, if I go to a faith community nurse and she's working with me on my challenges, um, how do I know that it's not going to get out into the uh, church secretary's area or to the rest of the church? And it's because of the role of the faith community nurse that confidentiality can be maintained. And that's a huge part of this. Did you have a question? I'm not clear on what you're saying. Why couldn't this gentleman's question or the retired nurse, why couldn't um, a nurse without the, the faith community nurse do those functions as well? Oh, well, they would be working with this person in terms of um, helping her achieve assessment and those kinds of things. And oftentimes, a faith community nurse will organize other nurses. Um, part of the rationale, uh, and, and you'll see nurses working in health ministry as teachers. What they'll typically do is work with groups, though. And the difference is this one will work with individuals. Um, and uh, if, they, if you do have a nurse who's working with individuals, I'm sure it would be fine. But you will find that they will, if they haven't been prepared for this paradigm, they will waffle out into what they think the role is and not what it really is. And the other piece to this is that they're a colleague to the pastor, which means that he or she must understand as the pastor, this person will be my colleague and we will work together like I work with the elders and the associate pastors to develop health and wholeness as a ministry. Well, and it is, uh, oops. How did that happen? How did that happen? Um, wait a second here. Yeah, where is that? There. Any nurse, any nurse can work over here in the team. Any nurse can work in the team. When you get into these areas, you can have someone who would just decide to do blood pressure screenings if that's all she wanted to do. And that oftentimes happens, but that's not faith community nursing. That's my point. Generally in our church it is. Um, there 
there are uh, there are a few churches where there is a paid position for a faith community nurse, and I hope and pray someday that it will be. Um, it's working that way out in the rest of the world, um, depending on the size of the church and the um, the um, the budget and what they can do with their financial resources and how this demonstrates itself to be valid. Uh, oftentimes, it takes about a year to a year and a half to demonstrate why would we do this? Why do we need this? What is it? And after about a year and a half, you begin to see the differences and the dynamics that develop as a result of having a faith community nurse. Yes, no questions. Okay, yes. Yes, and yes. Yes, that's right. And uh, and and she and the the faith community nurse will develop other people to do these roles because there's no way one person could do all of this. But remember, our goal is that every person in the congregation, all of us, can work in healing ministries. So there will be different ones who will say, I don't want to be a leader. And that's why most people stay away is, I don't want the responsibility. The person here says, this was for a moment in time to come and work as a team member, no heavy responsibility, but you do participate and you help us achieve the goals that we have. Interesting point, though, that you bring up, and that is that health ministry is always what the goal is primary. And a faith community nurse works inside of a health ministry. So you have health ministry that's the primary role that, or the primary goal that we have, and the faith community nurse becomes a part of health ministry for these various roles and functions. Yes. And oftentimes it works that way. It, yeah, oftentimes it works that way. We have uh, to uh, procure um, health insurance and so forth, you'll see a faith community nurse working part-time with a uh, hospital or some other institution, and the other part of her uh, week is given to the church for this work. So it works very well, and it's a beautiful example of how ministry can be expanded in new ways. So what we want to do is be sure that when we've developed this team, we get everybody on the same page. So there may be some foundational meetings where these kinds of discussions go on about what is health ministry, what's our role in it, what are the aspects of a health ministry, and, and how we include the clergy in this process so that they see it as ministry, not just programs. So you look at the vision mission of the church, all these things we've just talked about, whole person health as ministry. Um, we evaluate existing ministries, which we're gonna talk about in a few minutes. We're gonna review national and local uh, resources for you, establish different leaders and co-leaders for the ministry, plan a congregational interest survey to find out what the congregation is interested in before we decide what we're doing, um, prioritize that planning, develop the programs to meet the needs, bring in the strategies, bring in the interventions that meet the needs that you've found out about, and lifestyle change programs the same. You'll determine the budget and what it, what it requires to do this type of ministry, um, what the calendar is like, and how you implement the plan and how you evaluate it. So let's talk about 
evaluating current ministries. We've already got, as this individual has pointed out, we already have a host of ministries going on to help people become whole. And so um, what I suggest is that you develop a, a grid where you look at what it means to be whole. It's spiritual health, it's mental health, it's emotional health and social health, um, and it's um, physical health. And you'll notice on this grid here, it's spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, and social. Um, so I've put beside that, that listing the different age groups because we have developmental groups that have different needs. So you'll have young parents with babies, they have certain needs. You've got school age kids, you've got teenagers, you've got young adults, you've got adults, you've got seniors, you've got elderly, you've got frail elderly in your church. And all of these groups have different, perhaps, needs. Some of them overlap, especially when we think of spiritual needs and so forth. But some of them are different. And I think sometimes we play to a certain audience and we lose some of the others because we haven't focused on their specific demographic and, and their, their, their need. So um, I've listed a bunch of ministries and uh, these ministries are out there to help you figure out what you're already doing and then from there you develop the grid out to saying what age group does this apply to and what um, what aspect of care would it be for? And I have a whole host of handouts here to give you an idea of the types of ministries that are out there um, that minister to the different age groups and that would help with the different um, parameters. Is it spiritual care? Is it physical care? Is it mental, emotional, and social care? So if you would, these are sets of, th of three. So each person gets a set. Thank you. Sometimes we have ministries that are very familiar to us. I wanted you to see how many different types of ministries there are so that you can begin to think of what do we offer in crisis care? Well, crisis care would be hospital visitation, food pantry, disaster preparedness, CPR for leadership, from my perspective, anyone who's an elder or a leader in the church needs to understand CPR and first aid because we're going to bring people into our congregation or they'll be coming in. We need to know what to do in case an emergency occurs. Um, domestic issues, counseling services, and financial need requests. And those are off the top of my head of what I come up with just randomly for crisis care. Then we have disease prevention issues. And this would be blood pressure screenings and different self-assessments. There would be eye and dental and annual exams and brochures in the lobby and immunization schedules. So that even as adults, do you know we need immunization? So helping people know what they need as they grow older. Health promotion would be the exercise classes, the cooking classes, smoking cessation, weight management, any lifestyle change classes, and addiction recovery. All of that would fall under that category. Education and training would be listening skills and how to mingle with people. CPR and first aid training again, living wills and advanced directives, disease management classes, humor and health stress management might come under that. And then social events. The social events we have build our health. So we may have grief and loss support coming in there. Uh, I have social events and support. Grief and loss support, recovery support, 
new moms programs, different parenting classes, intergenerational um, programs, and different social events that we have at the church. This is sort of random for you, but you begin to get an idea that you would survey what you have, look and see which category it falls under, and then look and see what age group it's directed at. And at the end of this, you should be able to see where are we focusing most of our attention? Which is the target group? So that you can begin to know not only what's present that needs to be sustained, you can also see what's missing. What's missing that we could develop to help our people with? Does that make sense? You're welcome. I hope that will help, help you. There's many opportunities for serving people. Crown Ministry is a financial ministry, it's similar to Financial Peace University with um, Ramsey and teaches people the disciplines of managing their budgets and, and their giving patterns and saving patterns and spending patterns. Stevens Ministry is a wonderful ministry uh, and I hope that we will um, embrace it more. It's uh, where special, special people who like to minister and console others can learn to be skilled in the aspect of emotional care. So they go to a special training class, they learn the aspects of uh, non-judgmental uh, communication and support, listening skills, conversation skills. They don't advise or direct people, but they're there for them in their grief and their sorrows and some of the troubling times, and they know how to be appropriate with people who suffer. So it's a wonderful program. I would think any visitation ministry really ought to go to a Stevens Ministry training to understand the nuances of how to be a therapeutic individual um, and be very helpful without being offensive or stepping over the line and, of intrusiveness and learning how to maintain confidentiality and learning when people need to be referred on to others. And I, I will tell you that if you have a FCN, that's probably one of the things that she's going to be looking at too is how are our visitors instructed and how do we manage visitation and how can we do better at it. Stephen's ministry might be part of a ministry that would be developed if you don't have that already. I'm not sure uh, who, I know, it's of, uh, I, don't, I know it's of another denomination, but you'll see they have training centers around the country. Um, here in Orlando, we have one church that has gone to training to be tra a training center and for very little money, anyone can come in Orlando and they'll train you how to be a Stevens minister. So you don't have to go to Tampa or Texas or wherever it is that um, the training is. So it, it, it's a wonderful option, it really is. Okay, so does that make sense then? That makes sense, okay. Assessing your community then um, and looking at the nation, you need to be aware of the different reports that are out there for your community. And um, I would say to you that from a national perspective, we could go to Healthy People 2020. If you want to know what the nation and your community is, is interested in, look at these reports. And I put them on the screen. There's the website, healthypeople.gov slash 2020. And you'll see here the old objectives that they had to achieve. I don't know that we achieved them all by 2010, but we have new ones now that they've added. Adolescent health is a new objective for 2020. Blood disorders and blood safety is a new objective for 2020. 
Um, dementias, including Alzheimer's disease, has been added. Early and middle childhood has been added. Why do you think that is? Because we've got some children who have real serious health problems right now. Um, you'll notice genomics is a new area. Global health has been added as new. Healthcare-associated infections have been added. Uh, Health-related quality of life and well-being has been added to Healthy People 2020. Um, lesbian, gay, bisexual adults has been added and preparedness has been added. Sleep health has been added. Social determinants of health has been added. So we've got a lot of new um, objectives for Healthy People 2020. The website is healthypeople.gov slash 2020, I think. Did I get that right? Let's see. Healthypeople.gov slash 2020. Did you need to collect? Did you need to collect? Have you all signed? Okay. We need to send this around so that you can initial by your name. Now, if you're thinking about local, where you go for your local health information, you want to think about your local and state departments of health. So um, I'll get to that soon. This is the national one. <laughs> What else is the nation considering? And I like to use unitedhealthfoundation.org because when you go to this website, it'll give you the summation of what's happening in our country. And you'll notice here's a copy of the website. It says, in the last decade, the annual improvement in America's health has declined 69% compared to the 1990s. So it'll give you a lot of information about what is happening around the country about where, where we're achieving our goals and what kind of challenges the nation is facing, in addition to Healthy People 2020. And when you hook on state rankings, it will rank states by, you know, from zero to 50. And you'll see when you move the cursor over your state, you can click on that and your state will come up and it'll show you where you are in ranking if you're number one. I think Florida is number 33. We used to be 41 though, almost at the end. So we've made some improvements. Um, this will give you an idea of looking at what the states are concerned about from the standpoint of health. Um, and uh, you can notice here that they look at the different strength areas, they look at the different challenges, they highlight the different improvements that states have made, and they use terms of health that might be unusual to you. They encompass all of the types of behavioral health, like in Florida, they will tell you that our, the ninth graders who graduate, our graduation level of high school is below 50%. Uh, I think it's 40% of our ninth graders. We can expect them to graduate. Now, what that means is there's a large number of people who aren't graduating high school. And that's a real big indicator for us that we're going to have trouble. Because what happens when people don't graduate? They're not prepared. First of all, they haven't gone through the discipline of continuing to learn how to think and solve problems, which is a big part of going to school. But the other part is they're not equipped to move into better jobs. They're not equipped, equipped to be productive. 
uh, to be able to earn an income. So they're setting themselves up for a financial cascade. Many people work two jobs then because they can't make enough money to survive and support their families and so forth. So part of the health that the state is looking at is how many children are graduating, high school even. And what do we do about this? How can we help these people to move on? And of course, if you're a female and you've had one baby and you haven't graduated high school, what is, what's going to happen to you? Um, probably you'll be a victim unless someone comes in to help you move on as a single parent, as a, as a mother, as a, a human being that's got gifts and talents. How will you move on to achieve your goals and, and, and what ones will you develop? So this is a great place to go and look and uh, be aware. Your local state departments, here we go to local. Your local state departments of health will have what your county is looking at. And uh, for Florida, you can go to www.doh.state.fl.us slash health and you'll come up with what Florida is looking at. And on that site, I believe you'll be able to even look, locate your county. I think that you can use the same approach for getting the Department of Health for your state. If you go doh.state.whateveryourstateis.us, it should bring up your own state. So this gives you, not only do you know the interests of your congregation now, of what, they're, um, what you're thinking that they're interested in, we haven't talked about surveys yet, but you now understand what your state and nation are thinking about, what your county is interested in, and how you will join with them to achieve their goals. We have a, a nurse uh, who is a pastor's wife, a faith community nurse out in New Mexico. And their goal was to get a grant to begin to work on the issues of New Mexico. And childhood obesity and the obesity problem is huge for Native Americans in New Mexico. So they, had, they got a grant and they knew what their state was worried about. Um, they were working hard on developing their own health ministry in their church and to develop enough credibility with the leaders in the area that the leaders in the area would join them and they could join with the leaders to develop this program for weight reduction um, and offer it to children and families out in New Mexico. And after five years of working diligently, they have um, the support they need from the University of New Mexico, from the local Presbyterian Hospital, from others who are working on this issue of obesity, and now her organization um, is part of that milieu. And after five years, they have now 50 people coming to the weight loss program that they're having. They call it Super Fit Family Challenge because it's about families becoming fit, not just the problem that the child has. And doctors are referring their obese patients to this program. Now that's success. And it took five years, five years of developing health ministry, having a team, getting the church used to thinking this way getting the church used to reaching out and, and talking to other people. She spent a long time working with the leaders in the college and, and uh, being able to make friendships and professional colleagues who saw that we could work together on this and develop this program for the good of the community. Now the blessing in this is that the grant money doesn't last forever, does it? Grant monies that you get for certain things, it begins and it ends. The idea is if you're ever going to be sustainable so that you have funds for what you want to do, it's about bringing others in who have like mission, like-mindedness to work on a cause. They've got other grants now coming in. They've been able to get other monies to support this ministry. So that gives you this idea that this, is, this can be a, 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 an enhanced, um, you can open up your mind to this and say, you know, how do we work 
uh, in this field to bless our people in our communities with what we know and there are others out there too that can join us and we can have a really strong ministry uh, working together without compromising any of our values um, and yet we can go on and really help heal our land and become known. This was a church that was um, not known in the community. It was a church that was not, not known enough to welcome them into the colleagueship of others. Um, there was no Adventist hospital nearby, no Adventist entities nearby. This is a lone church in a conference, like we have many conferences where there's no Adventist health institutions per se. So it was a lone church getting known as, as, health, uh, as credible health ministry. So it can be done. It is powerful when it happens. It's intentional, right? It's intentional work, um, and we have to be willing to um, spend the time it takes to develop that. Okay, now surveys are important because when you know what the county and the, and the state and the nation is interested in, and remember we talked about learning what our people were interested in as well, you want to survey your church in terms of um, health ministry. What are the people interested in that they would attend? So I have just one sample of a, um, of a survey, if you would take one. And um, if, there's, if there's spouses here, uh, if there's two of you together, just take one because I'm not sure that I have enough. This is one example of a survey that was given to women in a church that we, we pastored in. And it wasn't so much about what they were interested in globally as it was in what they were interested in attending, if you understand the difference. If you give me a survey and you ask me what I'm interested in, I'm interested in everything. I'm not gonna come to everything though. So what you wanna know in your surveys, is what are you interested in coming to? What do you wanna know more about? Not generally what your interests are in, because you can take care of those kind of globally anyway. So a health interest survey is about what will people in your church want to attend? And so here are some tips about being successful at surveying. It needs to be a single sheet of paper, single sheet one side or single sheet double side. It needs to avoid looking like a test. So you can put little pictures on it. You can break it up and use a lot of white space so it's not so compact. You can use large size fonts so that people don't have to read tiny little, tiny little words. Um, you can also insert what's the date and, or the day of the week and time you would be able to attend. Uh, a lot of times we choose dates and, oh, I would have come, but I can't come, you know. So finding out what are the most dates that people can come, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Sunday, whatever, and what's the best time for them because some seniors will come in the morning or the afternoon. Working people want to come at night. On these health interest surveys, I would avoid asking personal questions. This is not a health risk appraisal. This is not about how many times a week do you exercise. This is just about health interests and what they want to know more about. And to be successful, I would avoid handing them out globally to the congregation on Sabbath and collecting them in the plate because people won't hand them in. And I wouldn't say to hand them out globally at the worship service and stand at the back by the door when they go out with a basket because people don't hand them in. What I would do is recommend that you go as a health ministry team, divide up your team, and visit the small groups. Visit the choir, visit the worship group, visit the deacons meeting, visit the elders meeting, visit the ministry meetings, visit the Sabbath school teachers meetings. Um, go to the small ministries that you already have 
and survey them. Say, say to the leader, can I take just five minutes of your group time and explain what the Congregational Health Ministry wants to do. We want to determine what you're interested in learning more about that you will attend this year before, as we plan our ministry for the year. Um, just mark down what you're going to attend and then collect it. It only takes five minutes. And then you've got almost 100% uh, participation of the leaders and the people who are engaged. Then you have to be uh, thinking about how do we help everyone who may not be involved in a group um, take that survey. Some have gone online. And that works well if you're computer savvy. You can take the survey online. People can click, 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 and you can get it that way. SurveyMonkey is a good tool for taking surveys that way. Otherwise, you might want to do a phone survey where you, because you're not answering, you're not asking personal questions. You just want to know what people would be interested in attending. If you have members that are not in those different kinds of ministries, you can do a phone survey where you have someone calling them, clicking it off, and um, that way you can, uh, you can know. You don't have to have people sign their names, but I would say this is a great opportunity to say, if you have a special gift that you'd like to offer health ministry and work with us to provide your special gift, please put your name and contact information so that we can include you in our um, ministry meetings. So um, you may have uh, done this many times before, but when you do this survey, it gives you a platform to start from. You'll then prioritize um, your answers, and it will give you a great idea of um, how many people are going to be looking at certain issues. And if they're interested in certain issues, then you know that that may be where you'll prioritize your time first. You'll get to the other things you want to do later, but first you may want to identify and, and um, take care of those priorities. I'll give you an example of what we did. We found out that most of the women who um, completed this survey were interested in um, breast cancer prevention. And so while we had gotten 40 people who, uh, well, we've gotten 100 of the surveys back, and most of, them said, most of the women said they'd like to know something about uh, breast cancer. So we decided that our next meeting was going to be October. What is October? Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So we thought, oh, that would be good. We'll have a, a dinner meeting for the women of the church who sign up to come. Um, it'll be in October, and we'll do uh, breast cancer awareness. We'll do breast cancer prevention. We'll have a speaker come from the American Cancer Society. We'll feed people dinner right after work. So all they have to do is leave work and come right to the church. We'll feed them. They'll get good information, and then they can go home. So we did the sign-up, and there were 40 people who signed up. And we were a little disappointed because we knew we had more women than that in the church. And we thought, oh, so a little disappointment. But we thought, OK, 40, that's good. We can do this. So we put together everything. We decorated the fellowship hall. It was beautiful. We used tablecloths, and we had beautiful tablescapes. And we had um, soup and salad and bread and a little dessert. And we were all prepared. And um, we opened the doors. Everyone was happy. It was a great time, except for the fact that the 40 who said they were interested in breast cancer went home and told their friends, and, and there were 80 people that came. And that's success, isn't it? When you have a meeting like that, that you found out people are interested in something, I, I was a little alarmed because that was double what we had planned for. But fortunately, we were planning soup, so we put more water in the soup. And it didn't matter. You know, God blessed the 5,000, and he blessed our meeting of 40 to 80. The salad went around fine. We had plenty of dessert. I don't know how that happened, but it happened. We had uh, guys there who were helping us with tables. We had more tablecloths. We put more um, centerpieces together. We took care of everybody. 
It was a fantastic evening. The speaker was great. Women learned a lot. And it was a powerful display of what health ministry could do for the women of our church. And they, it meant so much to them, they brought their friends. So that's what you want when you're thinking about what kind of an event. And that's just a topic presentation. That's just one evening, an hour-long info session. But it was fun. It was bright. It was pretty. People were social because they were sitting at a table eating and talking. They learned a lot about women's health, and, and they brought their friends. So that's kind of the, the thinking that you want. And I gave you an example of that survey just to help you get started. I have many more up here um, that I don't have uh, prepared to give out to you from all different kinds of churches. If you have an interest in it, you can come and look at it after class. So then you'll prioritize those survey results. You'll establish what is realistic for your church. If you only have 60 members, if you have 100 members, what is realistic for you to do um, in terms of your human resources, of who's helping you in terms of your financial resources? Um, what kinds of preparatory activities do you need to plan for with these programs? What kind of program resources do you need? Do you have to purchase a program? Is there going to be training for your people? How are you going to implement it? What does that mean in terms of how many people will you need to implement a program? Um, I think the CHIP program comes to mind. There's a fee associated with purchasing it, um, and that includes training of leaders, and that includes training of other participant helpers. Um, so there's some huge expense to that. And then there's, and, uh, when you invite people in for that class, there's an accountability price to that, too. There's a price associated with when they come for that month-long class because it's very intensive. So we don't apologize for that. Education, preparation, and so forth, and lifestyle change costs. So you have to figure all of that out. And then we look at how you're going to evaluate at the end as well. Um, realistic goals, I think, is important. Um, I have some people that I know, uh, pastors and other leaders, who believe that it's how many things can you do in a year. And I've seen health ministries become exhausted and quit. I would say to you, if you're planning out, where do you want your people to be at the end of the year? What is your whole person health goal for them at the end of the year? Knowing that lifestyle ch change takes uh, 6, 8, 10, 12 weeks of, of classwork and so forth, and support and follow-up after that. What is realistic in terms of helping people change, knowing that you're going to have holidays that bump into that, um, you have summertime that bumps into that? What can you realistically do in terms of lifestyle change? And how do you use your topic presentations as preparatory to your lifestyle change program? So there's some uh, you know, planning to how you do this. Uh, some people become very frustrated because they only did two classes. I would rather you do two major events a year and have them be very successful, very meaningful. Really, you can evaluate the kind of changes people made rather than you know one after another after another and kind of everyone tripping over themselves. You also have to recognize that there are other ministries going on. And you don't want to have competing interests because it will cut down on who you can really uh, work with. So, Thinking about all of these areas of, you know, where is it placed on the calendar? What's the timing? How long is it going to take? How many people are required to implement it? And what's the uh, best number that, that we can um, expect to attract? So 
So you want to have achievable end results that you can really measure. And then there's got to be some program preparation. What I hate to see is a lifestyle change program that comes up in the minds of people two weeks before. Because lifestyle change programs require people to become prepared in their own mind for changing. And the way you can tell when there hasn't been proper preparation is you'll start out and you'll have 50 or 60 people come the first night and you get really excited. The second night you have 30. The third night you have 20. And those 20 kind of stay with you. That's fine, except what that tells you was that people didn't understand the, the cost for them in terms of their time and their even readiness to change. We have to be ready to change when we go to a lifestyle change class that's going to be 10 weeks long. And there's preparation of our heart and minds. There's preparation of the family. You know, how do I get my kids taken care of on Thursday night if I'm going to this class? Who's going to pick them up from school? How will their food be handled? How will dinner get done? How will homework get done? How do I get there from work? Can I do this right now? Is it right? You know, so people have to work on their own timing and those kinds of issues. And then um, how many people do you actually have to work with you for the program? You may have a presenter. You may have a welcomer. And you may have other people who have to do the hospitality, the registration, the um, kind of management of the social issues of the class. Um, and then what kind of training is required? Do you have to come to a health summit for training? Or is there online training so that people can be aware? Makes sense, right? We talked about the calendar. Um, I just have known that we've had a lot of good intentions. But like today, what is today? What is Sunday? Super Bowl Sunday. So if I was going to have something for men's ministry, would I offer it on Super Bowl Sunday? Probably not, unless it was going to be a social event and we'd put the screen up at the church and everybody would sit and watch football. But if you, know, you just have to be mindful of what's happening out in my community that might conflict with what I want to do that would keep people from coming. What kinds of competing programs other ministries are offering? What kind of funding is um, required? And then I would say that this is important. Partnerships build credibility. And if we're offering our class to the community, partnerships with entities that have like vision and like values are a good thing. So you may find that it's real important for you to include people from the hospital or people from another organization that meets your values and meets your own uh, vision and mission to be part of your program so that when people look at your brochure or they look at your flyer hanging on the wall in the grocery store, oh, it's uh, this church, and they may not or may know it, it's uh, this entity and it's that entity. Those are the sponsors. So that's going to be good. I think I could go to that. So it, it helps you build your credibility when you're using other um, known partnerships, if you can. Um, I will talk to you now about how you prepare. And I wish we could take a break. If I let you stand up for about five minutes before we move through, will you, or you have to go outside, will you come back? <laughs> okay, let's take a break here for about five minutes or so. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www nadhealthsummit.com or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons please visit www.audioverse.org